Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by fitness and nutrition coach Kevin Gregory Jr. Kevin and I switched gears a little bit and went the personal development side rather than the fitness side and have a discussion around why personal development and personal growth is so important into our performance as an athlete as well. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Kevin, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Doing great. Very excited about the uh, warm weather that we're having and the ability to have the time to uh, sit down with you, uh, if nothing else, but definitely uh, the time to do some fun stuff that I haven't had the time to do, I guess, so... I would have to agree with that. It's been fun to just kind of get outdoors more and have fun and have more time to myself. For sure. Well, let's just kind of dive in. I I wanted to get you on here. We had a great discussion on the phone, over Messenger and then on the phone, but about all the personal growth that you have had and what you've done over the years. And I think it's something that personal growth and personal development is super important just for being a functional human, but I think people forget on how important that is into performance side of things as well, which is why I really want to get on here and discuss a lot of these things with you. Um, so I'm just going to kind of let you go and share your story and, um, who you are, your story, and we'll just kind of go from there. Sounds good. I appreciate it. So as a young lad, I started uh, playing sports. (laughs) Um, I played sports when I was in uh, middle school, high school, football, wrestling, lacrosse, uh, kind of just did that because I like playing with my friends and I was more organized. So, um, learned from my coaches, but really grew up that way and just tried hard to get on the field and earn playing time for, that was pretty much the goal. And then obviously win, but the, that progress, that progressed through to high school and eventually college. But, uh, there's so many aspects to sports that I didn't know about, like growing up as far as the psychology side and the mental part of it. So um, it wasn't really until probably college that I realized that if you're not developing yourself off the field as well um, with mindset and those kind of things, it's really holding you back. And if you look at pro athletes, like there's some really good athletes out there that you'll see one, year wonders or they're a great star but they don't last it's because they uh they have a lot of talent but they can't manage the publicity or the star starlight or whatever so <clears throat> that um that's something I've learned through the years but as a kid I guess I know we talked last time and we were talking about how I kind of got to where I am now and as a child my my family moved a lot so I never really had the chance to grow up with the same group of friends um, that some of my, my cousins did or my friends now did. Uh, you know, we think of maybe living in the same house your whole life. You go to the same school with all your friends and then up through elementary, middle school, high school, and so on. My family, we moved for a number of reasons, mostly financial reasons or for job opportunities or whatever. Uh, my family wasn't in the military or anything, but the first school I went to for more than two years was my high school. So I was really, uh, I don't want to say good at being the new kid, but really used to being the new kid (laughs) because I wasn't good at it. Um, I, my temperament is sanguine. So I like thrive on the energy of other people. And because of all this moving, I was became more shy and more shy and that kind of worked against me. So that brought me into like this shell and, it really uh, didn't support me in uh, in thriving early on in life, but it did force me to learn to adapt. And I think that's been the biggest thing that's helped me later in life is as a child, I was forced to adapt to these different schools and situations. And it didn't help that my parents uh, split up when I was 10. And then it was all my dad and my to take care of my two younger brothers and I and um, we won't go down that road, but I'm sure you can imagine a single parent with three young kids, the oldest kid kind of taking on some responsibility, but still wanting to play sports, getting a job as soon as I could get my working papers, those kind of things. 
And that kind of gave me the opportunity to grow and learn and those kind of things. Didn't make me unshy. I still like kind of was the quiet kid. Uh, good in the classroom, did my work, stayed out of trouble, kept my nose clean, as they say, I guess. My teachers weren't calling home. My guidance counselor wasn't bothering my family with, or my dad with uh, behavioral problems or anything. My grades were good enough that uh, didn't draw attention to myself. And sports-wise, I, I, I was good enough to get on the field but and start in some situations, but not really. I wasn't that standout athlete. So uh, that kind of like kept me in at least some sense of normalcy where it's fall, it's football season. All right, fall's over. Now we're moving to wrestling season. All right, wrestling season, lacrosse season's coming. All right, it's the summer. <laughs> as I was old enough, it's work season. I got to work more now than ever because I don't have the time to work as much during the sports seasons. And uh, after high school, I applied to college. I didn't get recruited or anything, but I wanted to play in college. And uh, ultimately, being from Long Island, which is a hotbed of lacrosse, um, every kid grows up wanting to play Division One lacrosse in college, and I just wanted to play lacrosse in college. Division One would have been great, but um, I didn't start as a senior in high school, so I knew I wasn't going to go to any D1 schools and, and be able to play. But uh, I got accepted to the State University of New York at Oneonta. It's a Division Three institution. They have lacrosse. They're pretty decent team not competing for national championships or anything but always making the conference tournament and usually making it to the semifinals so it gave us a pretty competitive schedule and uh so once I got accepted I reached out to the coach I told him I wanted to walk on and try out and he said that's great sure we'll welcome you to, to try out and that was my plan so I trained all summer, but I also needed to make money because I knew that I wasn't going to be getting money from my dad, being that he was working and supporting three of us. And I was, although it was a state school and I knew I was getting some financial aid, uh, I didn't know going into college. My dad didn't go to college. I was the first of the kids to go to college. I didn't know how much money you really needed to live. Plus, going out was kind of an attraction to college as well, and bars aren't free. And food's not free, so I didn't know like how much money I needed. So the more, the, the better. And uh, <clears throat> that summer, I, I, was, I started out working as a custodian uh, in my high school. And then that only lasted until like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Then I was working at the supermarket from 3 to 11. And then on the weekends, I would uh, ironically <laughs> look at me now and know this Bubbles the character. But when I was 15, I started working at a carnival. Not as a clown, as a kid with no social skills and no sales skills or anything. But uh, I uh, I worked at one of the games with a veteran, as an older dude, and he taught me the ropes of how it worked, and that really started to get me out of my shell. And then later, um, I did that for a couple summers, I guess. But my after my senior year of high school, going into college, I was kind of phasing that out. The guy that mentored me there was gone. He didn't come back that year because they were based out of Florida. So they come up and someone would call me like, all right, I want to work. Uh, but I got um, a letter in the mail offering an opportunity to come apply for a sales job. And I was like, I'll take anything. The custodian job won't let me work more hours. The, the supermarket changed management and the manager that used to take care of me was gone. So I'm getting like crap hours and not pay. I'd love to put all my this into one thing so that um i applied for that job i got hired and i ended up selling knives and uh kitchen knives not stabbing knives or anything weird like that because kitchen knives aren't weird but uh that job the training that they put me through was <clears throat> very intense and lots of uh regular like um development after the fact so i learned basic sales skills presentation skills, people skills, appointment setting skills, business ownership skills, all kinds of stuff that really got me out of my shell and really started to develop the, well, my natural tendencies or temperament, which hadn't really had the environment to, to blossom at that point. So love that was paid on performance. So that made a huge difference because as an athlete, I always wanted to get better, but I just didn't have a lot of areas that I could work really hard and see the results in. Like the other two jobs were show up, 
be here enough hours, get paid. And uh, school, I did well enough, get good grades to get into college. Um, I wasn't an AP student or like anything like that. So the, uh, the job was like the first opportunity that really was put more work in, get more results, get more success. And that grew me so fast. I think I only worked over six weeks because high school to college in the Northeast, high school ends at the end of June, college starts in the middle of August. So you have a very short window between high school and college to work or develop yourself. I made a good amount of money there. I think I made like, I don't know, $2,000, which was a million dollars to me at the time. I was going into college with some cash. And uh, that I just stayed in touch with that company after I went away to college. And some great managers and people that developed me there. And I went away to college. And we'll come back to the thing in a second. Uh, but I just ended up going back to that company every break, winter break, summer break, winter break, summer break, on and on, on and I guess for six years. And uh, the longer I stuck around and performed, they, they put me into this management development um, curriculum, I guess. I'd come home on, on breaks from school and then I'd have a weekend workshop of however, like five, 10 hours. I don't remember how long they were. They were like two day workshops where we sit, we got a notebook and we're learning. We're learning everything from negotiation, negotiation techniques to um, developing that business to taking over and becoming a manager of that company and so on. So after a few years of that, I ended up running my own office, which I recruited other either high school graduates or college students to work for me and develop a team, develop receptionist staff, and then work those sales reps and help them build their confidence and build their paychecks and so on and develop them. And that whole like system and curriculum was really what I needed at that time to really blossom. And then, uh, so I ended up doing that for six years on and off. And that was my first job out of college too, just because of my development. It didn't make sense to go start at the bottom ground floor of another company when I can just pick up where I left off there. But uh, back to my freshman year of college, so I walked on to the lacrosse field, um, knowing that I didn't start in high school, which was, it was a hit to the ego, because I was like, I'm a senior, I've been here for however many years, and then they started some underclassmen over me, who, whatever, they, they were going to go play in Division One and Division Two schools, and I was just going to D3, so whatever it is, it doesn't matter now, I was angry at the time, but I've long since let go of that grudge, and uh, my college coach let me walk on and try out and I made the team. Um, there was kids that we had a big freshman class of like 60 kids. So looking around and finding out where everyone else was from Long Island, Long Island, Long Island, Long Island, everybody was all from the same place as me that played for better schools and at her level. One was a champion and another one was all money and all these accolades. And uh, I was like, well, I knew I could be here. They let me try out and I worked my ass off all summer around my job, fitness. I was running, lifting, doing everything I knew uh, to get in shape for that. And uh, that shows we happen to have a coach that year that was a first time coach. And he believed if you dropped the ball, you ran a 400. And if you couldn't do it in under 75 seconds, you did it again until you got it. I wasn't a good runner, but I wasn't a runner. But my work ethic just. I mean, I was in better shape coming in summer. I didn't spend the whole summer partying and putting on weight or whatever. So um, survival of the fittest paid, played a huge role. But uh, that so we had fall ball, and then this is actually in the spring. So by the time the first game came, I actually started as a freshman and then straight through all four years, which was a huge athletic win because I was able to continue climbing the, uh, the depth chart get into a top three for my position. But that coach, that was crazy. He had all kinds of dictatorish nicknames. Well, he didn't give himself any. The players did. But um, the opportunity he gave me, although he beat all of us into the ground and then rose to the top, like I said, we had like 60-something kids trying out, and the season ended with 18. And all of us played, and all of us got field and all of us are in great shape and we lost games but we were never out conditioned and that I think was the, f the first time that something in athletics had proven if you 
put all the effort in and the time and develop yourself, when it comes time to put that on the field, you can actually see the payoff. And uh, that coach, as much as everyone hated him, I still look back and like I'll talk to some of my teammates and look around with how crazy he was, but that guy changed my whole mindset around everything because it didn't matter what he made to do and how crazy it sounded at the time. <laughs> this is in 2004. Now I'm 2020 and run like 24 hour races, which I didn't even think was a thing. Uh, even 5Ks at the time, I was like, people run for three miles, like for fun. <laughs> so the mindset of training, like really just blowing through those mental barriers, really like the groundwork was kind of set there. I had another coach like him my junior year of high school football, but that guy, uh, I actually broke my thumb and I was out for the season. So I played for the preseason for him. And then by the time the season started, I watched him run conditioning, but I didn't get to partake. And he's like an Instagram or a YouTube celebrity now. I don't know if you ever checked him out, but he has a Yo Elliot page. And I just thought that was crazy. Like that's, that used to be my coach. That's, that's awesome. He's like growing and developing, but following Elliot Hulse since then, and then knowing my lacrosse coach, Brian Hahn, I'm like, these two are very similar people. They're very A, like, personalities, and they know their craft, and they're going to make you go through the ringer if you want what they have. And if you're willing to put the time and effort in, you're going to come out the other side a totally different person. And uh, so, basically, I guess that was kind of my, like, fire and brimstone um, moment because that coach was only with us one year. So my sophomore, junior, senior, he was gone, but his legend lived on and his legacy. So everyone that played that year with me, my freshman year, we always thought, oh, you think this is bad? You should have been here when, when Coach Han was here. And, uh, but those kids that survived that one year with me, that was our nucleus for the next uh, four or the, you know, the next three years. And um, we were just like hardened and nothing could break us. And that was like what we were built around. Um, but back to – I guess that was my sport thing. After college, I didn't make it to the pros. So uh, <laughs> that was the end of lacrosse. Um, I started – I still wanted to play something. I found semi-pro football, played that for a bit. But I kind of got tired of that quick because I had this Coach Han training mentality. And I was playing with a bunch of people that were playing, treating it like pickup football where they're going to Taco Bell before practice if they even show up and then they're drinking before, during, and after the game. And I'm over here like, I want to win. I'm treating my, this like professional athlete as much as I understood it to be. And uh, it was great that I was one of the best players on the field, but we're losing all these games. So kind of burned me out. Uh, I stuck with it for, I think I played for seasons. I got an MVP board. So that was cool, but not fulfilling. Like that moment was cool, but I was finding obstacle racing in the process of this, and that just poured into my football training. I'm like, oh, I can go run a Spartan race in the morning, four hours away, get back here, kick ass in the game, and do everything I need to do on the field, and be able to do both. And uh, meanwhile, I'm running circles around my teammates who didn't Spartan race in the morning, and then drive four hours to get to the game. So uh, my Really good buddy. Uh, we were teammates together. We were started as freshmen, moved up through the whole four years together. He um, he's like, dude, leave football. You're not gonna go anywhere. Like, start doing Spartan races. Train for that exclusively. Stop doing CrossFit. Just focus on Spartan races. And this is in 2011. <laughs> um, so I did. Uh, did some more races. I was, I started like most people I'm here to finish. And, um, cause I wasn't a good runner at the time. I didn't know how to run. I just ran for lacrosse conditioning or whatever I needed to. And, uh, as time went on, I just, I went from wanting to finish to finishing or wanting to finish to running elite because I didn't want to run in the open. They didn't have competitive at the time or age groups. And then going from, let me finish top 50% the elite to, 25% and so on. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Jack Bauer has these like year over year, like your power rankings. And I was looking at it back from when I first started. I'm like, wow, I've literally gotten better every single year. 
which is great because I know I've learned more every year. I put more work in every year. I've been more strategic with training. Mentally, my first year, I, the first race I ever did was a warrior dash, and I thought it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It was five, <laughs> it was three miles. It took me like an hour, and it was uh, the easiest obstacles I've ever seen. But at this point, but um, that was a gateway drug to obstacle course racing for me. And uh, my friends and I that did that signed up for a Tough Mudder like four months later, and we actually downloaded the Tough Mudder training plan. And we're like 13 miles. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know. It's going to take us like all day to do. And we came in super trained, and we worked on our running and our obstacle proficiency as best we knew with the, with the training plan. But we ended up doing it in a faster time than we thought was possible. It was like two and a half hours or something. It was in New Jersey, so there's no hills, but uh, we had a blast. And uh, they had a, co a costume contest at the time. So we took advantage. We got some costumes dressed up as Santas because it was November and we won the costume contest. Back <laughs> then they gave you a free season pass for winning a costume contest in the festival. So that meant all of 2012, we didn't have to pay for any Tough Mudders. Uh, so the following year, we're looking at the calendar. I, I was still living in upstate New York, so I'm like, I can go to the, the Pennsylvania one, and then I can go to the Vermont one, I can go to New Jersey. And uh, I think I did four or five that year. I think I went to Maryland too. Um, and my that was the year, I guess 2012 was my first Spartan. And uh, I ran that with uh, my college buddy and then his brother-in-law. And that was really cool. And I was like, wow, that I'd heard how hard Tough Mudder was, or Spartan was compared to Tough Mudder. But I'm like, well, it's only three miles. It can't be that bad. Tuxedo is four and a half miles of rocks and not runnable at all, especially when you don't know what you're doing. Uh, so the first sprint I ever did was, it was uh, pretty challenging, but signed up for Killington right away. And that was uh, a few months later, obviously, so, uh, from Tuxedo in June to Killington in September. And, then I was hooked. Um, I mean, I was hooked already, but I'm like, if I can beat Killington, like people don't even survive this thing. So that was just like finish. And that's the goal. Still running open, but each year just getting better. But mentally you learn so much about what your body's capable of. And you know, you want to die, but you learn real quick. It's not your body that goes up. It's your mind. And yeah. So that was 2012 with, with killing um, but we want to talk about like personal development, development and stuff. So Spartan fast forward 2020, I don't, I haven't done a death race, but I did everything else. So probably should look into making myself available to do one of those eventually when Corona's <laughs> over. We'll see. Um, the other personal development stuff. So throughout the, the job selling knives, I had, when you're new, like you're basically only your office is managing you. But as you go through management leadership training, the division manager manages you, the region manager, like from the Northeast region, like they get more, um, more attention because they want to develop you into the next leaders of their area or whatnot. So um, the first like higher up that recognized me for building a relationship with, uh, he used to run track at Cornell and graduated from Cornell in like three and a half years and pre like this guy is smart he was super intense really just resonated with me because of these two fitness coaches I had plus this guy he had a goal of running a sub four hour mile or four minute mile his whole like since his kid he always talked about Roger Bannister all of his lessons were related to Roger Bannister and it's all in your head and you're accomplish you can accomplish way more than you think you can and he had a 35059 or a 359.99 tattoo on his arm. And this guy would run, like, he ran his office, like, I would say more like a sports team. He always had rah-rah stuff, but he had education, he had teachings, and he'd go all out, like, streamers and crazy stuff for just, like, an hour-long meeting. And um, he was super fit. He had, like, super ripped abs and tons of energy and super high performer professionally. And I'm like, wow, this guy's got – like, what else could he possibly have? Like, he's got everything that I think I would want. So I really attached to him. Um, still wasn't a big runner at the time, but I, like, appreciated his drive to be a runner. He was a track athlete. I didn't really get my sort of track and all that yet. But 
seeing what he could do physically and professionally at the same time and that really taught me a lot about balance I guess have to like totally neglect everything in order to go to a high level in one thing um it's not easy <laughs> but it's possible and that's really what I looked like I needed to hear and uh now like the way people describe me that I've worked with professionally and else like the way they describe me and I take time back and think is a lot of the same feelings I had about that guy his name is Joe so a lot about Joe I'm like you're crazy you do this you're like the best here and here and here and then on the weekends you go run these crazy races I'm like well I wasn't he wasn't running crazy races but all those feelings like people like they're like that's impossible I could never do that and all that stuff and now that I've seen that and I didn't think I could do anything and I've grown and like aged a little bit and experienced things I'm like yeah I know exactly how you feel because I was in your shoes like 12 years ago or whatever and I had a boss that was like this and he did all that and now like year after year I got a little bit each year and I'm like yeah it's not that you can't do it it just you can't expect to flip a switch and go from you currently sitting on the couch doing nothing or whatever your current situation is and expect to be where I am I've been working on this since I don't know I was in high school kind of building that foundation and then each layer just poured on top and on top and um so Joe really took me under his wing early. I ended up living with him for a time when I was working with him and just living his lifestyle, seeing what he did and how he managed his time and energy and all that stuff. And we had a good time. Like he, he went out and hit the bars and played darts and stuff sometimes, but he still got the job done. He wasn't like my college friends when I was in college and doing that kind of lifestyle. So seeing that you can still have passion for that have a great time without binging and all that stuff like college life um i did drink enormous amounts in college and it took a lot to learn that that was not going to be able to stay with me if i wanted to really break free grew up in a family of alcoholism my dad he's a recovering alcoholic for 24 years now so when i was 10 and they split up that was the start of his sobriety and uh, I don't know where I'd be if he didn't get sober because we wouldn't have had a sober parent taking care of us. So we might have been in foster care or um, protective services or whatever, but he did whatever he had to do to keep a roof over our heads. And we moved a lot, like I said, but um, uh, love him for it. And like I said, he wouldn't, I don't know where we'd be. My mom, not a bad person. She was going through her time and she made the choices she made and we've had tons of conversations and we forgive each other and mostly me forgiving her but she's open about it she's like I'll tell you whatever you want to know and I'm not proud of a lot of decisions I made but she and I like she's not a big drinker now we just uh, we have a great relationship and I couldn't ask for more than that and so I'm not resentful of any of that so but just the ability to learn through our our uh, past challenges or bad decisions and no one's perfect um, I keep hearing this uh, phrase that we're all broken. <laughs> no one's perfect. We all are broken in some way, but it's not what defines you. You're not bad decisions. You're not something that happened to you. You are who you are. So it's just like acceptance of broken peace and put that aside. And I dealt with that and I accepted it and it's not going to change, which is fine. But no one's walking over to that pile of crap that you just discarded and be like, that's who you are. I'm like, no, it's, you don't even know that unless I told you. So it, that's just like active in the back of our heads while we're being ourselves. And we just, people don't even know. We'll just get rid of it and now we can be free. Um, moving forward, went through some relationship challenges on my own. Was married, divorced. Wish her the best. We just grew in opposite directions and decided that it'd be best for us to part ways. Uh, haven't. Um, not sure where she, what she's doing, but wish her the best. And I feel like it was the best for both of us. I've since moved on. I have a very healthy relationship now with uh, my fiance. We're getting married whenever Corona's over. <laughs> uh, we're victims of the, the Ronan taking dates thing, but no, we're not stressed. It's just going to happen whenever it is. But, um, I was telling you when we were talking 
a month ago or so ago, whenever we started talking, um, I've gone through this, like having mentors and like following them and then leaders and following the footsteps of people. And I think life is just a series of like who comes in and out of your life. Law of proximity is easy because you people can understand that if you're around them all the time, you're going to attach to them, talk, understand each other. But then if you move, they move or something happens, you don't see them anymore. It's not that they're not friends, it's the proximity has gone. So you're not going to talk to everybody as much as you used to. But people come in and out of your life for different reasons. And uh, I was catching up with some people from the knife company a little over a year ago. And they, these are great friends when I was in the business. We traveled together. We went to Disney World, went to Costa Rica, like <laughs> won all these corporate trips and had a blast. And they knew the old me and I knew the old them. And, but we've kind of like stayed in touch throughout the years. And they were telling me about um, their mentors that they had been working with for a couple of years. And those guys had, they both made really good money, but they were just getting, they felt like, they reached a point in their careers where they couldn't go any higher. They were kind of glass ceilinged. They were not unhappy, just felt stuck. Like, I don't know what the next step is. I'm only in my thirties. I don't know where else I want to go, but I don't know what I need to do. I need some guidance or something. So they were both thinking outside the box. They trying to figure it out, but they knew like they, they were tired of waking up making food, saying goodbye, go work for other people for 10 hours a day. By the time you have commute, come home, hang out, give what's left of each other to one another, and then go to bed and do it again. And live for the weekends, and that was it. So their fulfillment at the beginning was great, but they got tired quick and they didn't really know where they were going. So they, um, they started working with their mentors, and their mentors really started asking them different questions and opening their minds and it's not that they weren't into personal development at that time, but they hadn't really like taken a deep dive in and really figured out what they were trying to develop other than just, I'll oh, read a book here or there. Or I'll listen to a podcast here or there. They hadn't really developed a curriculum for what they were trying to develop. So when they started working with their mentors, they were like, all right, we're going to learn about this. We're going to learn about this. We're going to learn about this. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about finances because if you guys have to work, hours each just support your lifestyle you're going to have left to live like you're just living you're in a rat race or whatever the, all that and they knew they wanted to have a kid but they didn't think there was enough hours for that or money or whatever it is um they really got some perspective on things and um so they've been working with their mentors for i guess like two two and a half years and we were catching up catching up with them and they were telling me all this i'm like wow that's incredible I mean, I just went through a bunch of changes myself. I got out of one marriage and didn't know where I wanted to go. And I knew I didn't want to stay where I was, but I didn't know if I was going to move to a new city or just move home and live with my parents for a while and figure that out. And ended up moving to Connecticut, which is where my fiance is from. So she was living with her parents. So I ended up moving this direction um, after being on my own for a little while. So that way, I could give this relationship a shot. We had some great conversations. We've been talking for a little while and we really had a mindset around everything, life training, just general values, I guess. So I wanted to move here, give this a shot. We, neither of us wanted to have a long-term relationship. And uh, I was here for a little over a year. I had the fortune of her mom accepting me into their family and let me live with them for a while because I didn't know where I wanted to live or wanted to work. And I told her mom that I wanted to be here and give her a shot. And she's like, well, that's kind of crazy, but if you want to do it, I'll, uh, let me talk to my husband, but <laughs> I don't see why that's a problem. I don't, how long do you think you're going to stay? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, but I'll, I'll be in, I just need to learn the area and how things work. I've never been to your state before. Like I've been to Connecticut, but I never lived here. I lived in New York for my adult life. So that moved here, that was great. But I was still living with them a year later. And wait, I just finished my master's degree. Jess was finishing up her master's degree to be a teacher. So her mom's like, don't leave yet. Wait till you guys both have like full-time incomes. That way you're not spreading yourself too thin. So we weren't really in a rush to move out. 
but uh, we didn't really have purpose. We didn't know where we wanted to go. And that's when I was catching up with my old friends and they were telling me all this that I just told you. I'm like, holy crap. So they help their mentors help them with their finances, with their direction, with their relationship. They're like, we've learned more about ourselves and each other in this two years than we ever thought was possible because I don't know why, why he ticks when I'm like, hey, come for dinner. No, I don't care. All right, let's have this. Ah! <laughs> like, why does that make you tick? All I did was ask you a question. You don't know. Well, it's because we have different things programmed into us that we don't know about ourselves. So that self-awareness piece really, um, I know in the last year working with them, we've gone through the same transformation. We've paid off a ton of debt, but our relationship has gotten so much stronger too from our, um, from our perspective. So for example, I'm a sanguine, I'm very extroverted. I draw my attention from others. So if I live by myself, I would go nuts. If I was sitting around my own house all the time doing nothing, um, where Jess, she's an introvert and she's a melancholy. So that temperament means she's very, um, not just introverted, but she draws her attention from being alone. And she likes to calculate out every step before taking action where I'm just like free, <laughs> free like to the world. Let me just go figure it, I'll do it. And then we'll figure it out on the way. <laughs> I never plan for races. I'm like, oh, I'm going to Arizona. I got my plane ticket. Where are you staying? I don't know. I'll book the Airbnb while we're landing. And I'll get the, I'll, I'll book the rental car on the bus to the rental car place. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's like, what? We're going to go to Iceland in December. We need to plan. I'm like, January. We don't need to plan a year in advance. What are you talking about? <laughs> so we learned a lot about each other, just uh, the temperaments and how we interact with one another. So when we're not having a, I don't want to say disagreement, we're not seeing eye to eye, she just needs to go recharge. So now I know when she goes to reach like I'm just gonna go in the room I'm like great I know that's her time to recharge she's taking her journal she's gonna do her journaling or whatever she does that recharges her <laughs> that's her time I'm not gonna bother her she needs that when she's done she's gonna be great and she knows if I'm like if I'm down like I have other things I need I need to talk to people I need to do something uh, a lot of times eating but that's not the social piece but uh, <laughs> we know kind of what makes each other tick a lot more and because we understand ourselves and we can understand each other, it allows us to have just a deeper connection and um, know how to support one another. Because I feel like, especially nowadays, the relationship, I grew up in a, very, in a broken home. She grew up in a broken home. Everything modeled for us was how to fail in a relationship. We never saw how to make it work. We only saw this stuff that it doesn't work. So, and she has three brothers and two stepbrothers too, so, or three siblings and two brothers. So both of us come from families with kids and broken parents and all that stuff. So that's another thing our, um, our whole relationship with our mentors has taught us is find a happy relationship that has success and model yourselves after that, not after what you grew up watching. Same thing with finances. If you grew up in a household where your mom and dad don't know how to handle money, you're going to inevitably waste a lot of money, throw it away, make bad decisions because that's all you know and you don't know why. It's just what, how you're programmed. Whereas if you have, if you grew up in an environment where your parents are good with money and they manage it well and they're like, all right, I made a dollar. We're going to save 25 cents over here. We're going to put this to here. We're going to put this to here. We're going to pay everything with cash. We're not using credit cards. Then you develop all these good habits and then you're not in $20,000 in debt getting out of college. And like, that's not even including student loans. What happened? So um, really paying attention to who you're taking advice from and who you're modeling after uh, because we're so unconscious to those kind of things. We just look at whatever's in front of us either because of proximity or we look up to somebody for another reason and think they're great at everything, but really they have a lot of weaknesses. They're only good at like one thing. Um, look at, I mean, for example, if you look at professional athletes, most of them make millions and millions of dollars, but when they retire, they're living like average people because they don't know how to manage their money. But I think Alex Rodriguez, Michael Strahan, and there's somebody else that I heard on, Danica Patrick has an awesome podcast, and she interviewed Michael Strahan. And um, Michael Strahan and her, we're talking about Alex Rodriguez, and there's somebody else who made a ton of money, but was really smart with it when they didn't have a lot of money. So then when they made all this extra money, 
It just went through the same exact system that they did when they didn't have a lot of money. And then they still have more, they can use that for investments or live a certain lifestyle that's within their means, not ball and making however many million dollars a year. And then all of a sudden that income stops and it's like, Oh crap, I'm going to go live with my mom. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, I don't know where, where next. I mean, I can keep him, but yeah. Um, I think to kind of bring it kind of full circle when it comes to the work you've done on yourself, you know, all the way from high school until now, how do you feel that work, um, as far as whether it's like schedule, financial confidence, whatever it is, how do you feel that has helped with what you do as how it plays into your performance, training, competing, all that sort of, all of those directions. Awesome. So thanks for asking me. I know I'm like everywhere. I'm like styling. in. <laughs> so the experiences, I think if you think of it this way, when you have a memory as a kid or an adult or whatever, you have a memory, you can close your eyes and you can envision exactly what happened, the color of the flowers and the background and the feeling you had and the taste and the smell and all that stuff because it's a memory. It actually happened. But when we try to think about what we want, we often don't put that effort into it. We're like, Oh, I, I'd love to have, for example, a million dollars. Great. Well, what's that going to feel like just have holding a million dollars doesn't make any difference. It's just because it's there, but how are you going to be able to live? How are you going to feel? How are you, if you envision visualize, all of like having what you want, whether it's in a race um, or training, if you visualize what you want and how it's going to make you feel, you're going to tie way more emotions and everything into succeeding because you're going to already, you're going to have that vivid memory, but you're going to be putting it in front of you. So now it's going to become more real, which is going to draw you way faster towards that um, instead of just making it a wish. And yeah, there's goals, but figure out what you want and then figure out the steps to get there, but attach all these emotions to it. And the more stickiness, that's what we used to call in sales. If you put a bunch of, make things more sticky, people won't leave you, they'll keep buying. But if you attach more stickiness to it, you're gonna keep pulling yourself closer and closer and closer at a faster rate. And that is going to get you there much faster. And then the regular focus on it, whether it's daily meditations and visualizations and journaling and all that stuff, the more time you put focus on it, the more it stays in the forefront of your mind and the more it becomes real because you're taking a small, it might be only be 1%, you're taking a small step towards it every single day. And yeah, it seems impossible when you set that goal, but after 365 baby steps, you're like, shit, I've spent so much time putting into this. I might not be there yet, but I'm so close compared to what I thought a year ago. And then it only compounds. Um, like the Darren Hardy book, um, compound effect, that 1% better than yesterday is now like 1.0001% better. And then 365 days later, you're, I don't know what the math is on that. You can do it. <laughs> you're, you're way more than 365% better. So, and the funny thing is like, uh, I think back to when I was at the knife company, we, one of the first exercises we did with management, we made a dreams list. Matthew Kelly, I think wrote a book about that. And we made a dreams list and I'm like, write a hundred dreams and wrote like five things. And then you get, you're out of ideas. I'm like, no dream bigger, stop limiting yourself. And I still have that very first dreams list from whatever year it was. And I go back there. I think it was like from 2006. I go back there every now, every once in a while, I'll take it out and take out a highlighter. I'm like, Oh, I I got five things done. I didn't even realize I wasn't really working towards it, but just my capacity that I've grown over the years has allowed me to just absorb these things that I set as planted a seed for 14 years ago or more than that. I don't know, whatever the math is on that too. So, um, and then what that, so that's like fitness wise, but now as a per, fitness professional and coaching people on nutrition and fitness, Knowing what they're going through, because I went through it myself, allows me to connect to them on a different level than just, here's a plan, good luck. I can connect them like, hey, I know you're not getting the results you want, let's sit down and talk about it. And we talk about nothing to do with fitness, nothing to do with nutrition, just asking them the right questions because I know how they're feeling, because I want to do the same exact thing myself, and helping them open up and be more 
raw by being vulnerable myself. And then they really like spill their guts out. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, you have this huge story about why you can't get your results. And really all that's caused by this tiny little thing that happened to you when you were 16. Your teacher said you're dressed in a fit right. Like, holy crap, I'm not in psych, I'm not in that stuff. But what I've learned is we build these huge stories around these little things that that's that baggage that I was talking about before. So they're like, wow, this is great. And constantly clients are like, I don't know, I've, I've had trainers before, I've had this before, I've had that before. And they just, I, I mean, I, I lost some weight, but I didn't feel, I feel way different working with you than I did with this person. I'm like, well, we connect on a human level. And then once you trust me, then I can more trust you're going to do what I tell you to do, but I'm not just directing you. I'm giving you the whys and everything and you understand and I'm sharing my thought process and then you're more bought into the process. So you're going to follow through better and follow through is the answer anyway. <laughs> but then they, um, they're going to uh, get the results that they want, but feel good about it and feel like it's going to last a long time because they lost 20 pounds and then they gained 30. <laughs> so um, yeah. So my whole like thing is long-term success and lifestyle. And although I don't promote the life coach thing, cause that's not what I, I guess I kind of do it, but it's not like my thing. It just added value for my people I'm working with and just try to share, pour life into others and pick them up and whatever else I can do. You know, I think as a coach, fitness coach, nutrition, whatever, like there's so much, like you said, of life that's pulled into it that we can't just be a fitness coach. We have to figure out what those underlying things are because you made a great point there that we all tell ourselves these stories of why we can't do something or why we can't, aren't successful in something. And it's breaking down those stories and those barriers is what gets us that success. Yeah, the barriers, I mean, we talked about this, the, the barriers hold people back, but they really don't realize what the barriers are at first. They just know, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Why not? I don't know. So... <laughs> Pretty much. Identifying them, digging them up. Yeah. And it's tough to, like, I mean, I know I've talked to my coach, both life and business coaches, about things because we don't, when we're working through it ourselves, we can't figure out those other barriers. A lot of times it's that journaling or talking out loud that really helps sort out what those things are. Yeah. That outside perspective is huge. And having those self, the self reflection and the self awareness exercises and tools to use is great but ultimately just having an outside perspective from somebody else that knows your situation and you've talked to and you've confided in they're like oh why don't you do this and I'm like i've been working on this for weeks and i can't figure it out and you just asked me one little question and all of a sudden got the answer or uh, also i'll find the i'll call them to be like hey i got a question this is what I'm going through. Like, all right, tell me about this. Tell me about this. And me explaining it to them has me explain myself out of this rut that I couldn't figure out. So I got out of my head and just bouncing it off of somebody else. So yeah, it's so true. It's so true. So kind of start closing things out. Um, since we've really gone the personal development route today, if there's like one thing that you can something simple kind of that first one percent step that you can suggest to someone to start doing if they are kind of stuck and not really knowing how to grow um further what's that one little thing that you would suggest first thing i would say check your sources i mean what i mean by check your sources is look at who you're taking advice from does that person have the results in the area that you want does the, the person have the results in the area that you want? So if I want like dating advice, am I going to call up my uncle who's had three divorces? No, because he has no results in the area that I want. <laughs> I'm going to talk to somebody that is in a happy marriage for 50 years or something along those lines. Same thing with financial advice. You're not going to call your broke uncle and ask him like what stocks to invest in because he has no clue. He's still guessing every day. Find someone that's super far along in that process of whatever area, because everyone has different expertise areas. Find that person that's farther along and just go straight to them. 
other people, the people that have the worst advice, I think, are the ones that want to give you all of it. <laughs> if you think about the, your dating advice, your single friend that's still hitting the bars is the first person to tell you exactly what you need to be doing about who to date or how to find the right guy or girl or whatever. And the same thing, my dad is always trying to give financial advice. I love him, but he's been in a terrible financial situation probably way before I was born. And I'm like, dad, you're always going through this. And I know the situation well, because he told me it all, but he's like, all right, this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, I sent him Dave Ramsey's book. I'm like, read this. If nothing else, take a couple pieces out, apply any of it, and you're going to be in a better spot. But, well, my credit's scoring down again. I'm like, I can't help you. <laughs> you lead the horse to the water. So uh, yeah, my number one tip, check your sources. And whether that's an author or they have a podcast or even just, I mean, everyone's on social media these days. Most people that are super successful are going to be willing to share some of their expertise with you if you just ask. But don't waste their time asking them like BS stuff. Like just be straight to the point and, and go for it. And I mean, people ask me all the time. I'm like, I'll give you a tip. But if you want to sit down and want me to map out the next six months of your workouts, we're going to pay for it. But if you got a quick question about running or injury rehab or something, like I'm not going to tell you to F off. I'm going to give you some, give you something. So just be valuable to that time because um, I don't mind giving you that advice. I just want to see that you actually took it and you're going to run with it. So. Awesome. If someone has more questions for you, where can they find you? Great question. So uh, Instagram, I'm at Bubbles the Clown. We didn't talk about that much today, but you can message me, I'll tell you. Uh, on Facebook, Kevin.e Gregory. Oh, Kevin E. Gregory Jr. I think Jr.'s in there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you message my dad, he'll tell you something about politics and you'll realize you're the wrong person. Um, <laughs> I think my Facebook picture does not have a clown mask and my uh, Instagram does but you'll figure it out. <laughs> Watch the story. You'll figure it out. Uh, awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian. It was a pleasure sharing my story with your audience. And I know, uh, talking to you last time, I, this is the, like, I, the stuff that your people eat up and I was happy to be a contributor and look forward to talking again soon. Awesome. And that concludes this week's episode of highly functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe, as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.